1: Yeah, I know there are difficult forecasts out there, but forecasts are not destiny. And what we shouldn't be doing is talking ourselves into a recession. I'm worried
2: that Liz Truss's plans will make the situation worse. And what I want to do
0: is different.
1: But it's it's notable that 80% of the overshoots of over the target at that point is due to energy and tradable goods.
0: No, interest rates should have been raised uh, a long time ago and uh, the Bank of England has been too slow. Um,
2: and now inflation is hitting double digits. So clearly something's gone wrong. You know what? This something-for-nothing economics isn't conservative, uh, it's uh, socialism. Under
1: your plans, we are predicted to have a recession.
0: This is the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keane and Phil Dobby.
2: Well, the new British Prime Minister has vowed to review the mandate of the Bank of England, but it seems what she's thinking is that they should have just moved quicker on raising interest rates to curb inflation, as though it goes without saying that that's going to work. But what if it doesn't? And what exactly is the role of the Bank of England anyway, or any other central bank for that matter? And was it a sensible decision to make them independent of government? Uh, Aren't they sometimes working against each other? Wouldn't Liz Truss be working against the Bank of England if she pushes ahead with tax cuts that add to the aggregate demand, which could escalate inflation? What is it with central banks? That's this week on the Debunking Economics podcast. So, Steve, the new British Prime Minister announced uh, today, Monday, as we're doing this, uh, is Liz Truss. She has vowed to review the mandate of the Bank of England. So, uh, given that she's going to do that, uh, maybe we can help her. So, Steve, you know, <laughs> I thought this week we could we could have a look and see what should be the uh, the role of central banks. I mean, uh, I think there's two things that central banks supposedly do: they try and maintain some sort of control over the uh, the value of money, so it doesn't lose. Uh, value too rapidly through inflation. Not doing very well at that at the moment, are they? And then also, um, they make sure the banking system doesn't collapse like they failed to do in 2008. So uh, on both of those counts, central banks aren't very good at what they do. Um, Maybe we should start with, uh, yeah, stopping banking collapses and what went wrong in 2008. I mean, that really was a response to deregulation, wasn't it, with banks undertaking risky practices in particular, you know, they were packaging up all those risky mortgages into securities, which were sold on the sly. And then, when those mortgages failed, basically, the world economy uh, collapsed. I mean, is the can central bank stop that? Uh, is it going to happen again? Uh, you know, is that is that are they any good at that side of their supposed mandate?
1: Well, they're not. And uh, and, and the trouble was, it is again. It's <laughs> everything leads back to the danger of letting neoclassical economists run anything apart from maybe a milk run. Um, it, it, their, their decision making, their beliefs about um, how the economy operates, uh, led to them believing that you could get rid of risk by diversifying it. Now this is crazy because an individual can diversify themselves away from risk, but a society can't. Uh, you know, and, and this is what Keynes said so brilliantly back in the in 1937 when he was, I think, of a paper called The General Theory of Employment, which I recommend. Anybody who thinks they know what Keynes is about, and, and, and therefore anti-Keynesian because of it, read the 1937 paper, The General Theory of Employment, and also another one called Alternative Theories of the Rate of Interest. You'll it won't be you'll think you're reading Hayek. Okay, just let the Austrians out there know that they're interested. Mm. Oh, this must be Hike. No, sorry, it's Keynes. Now, uh, part of what he said was that an individual uh, uh, can diversify their financial risk quite easily. Uh, by by getting a, taking a range of different shares, uh, a range of assets and so on and so forth. But an individual farmer can't decide to, have, to grow barley in the morning and wheat in the afternoon, given a change in spot prices for the two. They're committed. They've made a physical commitment. And equally, when you get to the overall social level, uh, if there's a risk of something happening, uh, the fact that you can die, you can sell that risk in a fractional way throughout the society doesn't change the fact that it's going to hit the aggregate it's of still society. There. Yeah. It's still there. So you can't get rid of it. And but that, that but because but because the The usual story of mistaking the micro for the macro, which really is the foundation of neoclassical economics, projecting what an individual can do and believing the whole society can do the same thing, which is the total fallacy of composition, again, something that Keynes hammered on back in the 1930s. But because that, that that is a fallacy of composition, you can't get out of the way. The risk is still there. The danger will still be born. And of course, when it did, those things, rather than being ways to reduce risk it came a way to amplify risk now i think the central bank will learn that particular lesson uh, we don't have quite a level of junk bonds we had back then and uh, you know all the we still have mortgage backed securities but nothing like the tranching that was done back in those days mm-hmm. so they've learned by experience they're not going to redo that mistake but they're still believing they can run the economy like it's a neoclassical whiteboard and it's not so putting up interest rates on the whiteboard reduces demand through the what they call the taylor the taylor equation relating uh, the rate of, of um, the rate of inflation to the level of uh, uh, effective capacity of the economy, and therefore the the, the the rate of interest, rate of inflation, and capacity of the economy. Those those are the three variables to go into the the Taylor equation from memory. Uh, because they they can do it on the whiteboard, they they can do it in the real world, and it's going to fail completely. It's going to actually probably cause inflation to rise because you're increasing the cost of business in a very, as we were saying last week, a very dangerous environment.
2: Mm. Well, I mean, that, their answer on that, uh, you know, that because it was speculation, wasn't it? That it really was the problem in two thousand and eight. So, I mean, that's speculation a, and
1: know. too much private debt. Those, those yeah. two. Let's not forget, private debt was essential. That was the, that. That's that's the reason that I could call the crisis before it happened. I wasn't calling on the basis of saying these. These uh, mortgage-backed securities and tranches and madness, though they were. I was talking about that, but it wasn't my main focus. The main focus was the rate of growth of credit of debt is positive. Therefore, credit demand is positive and adding to aggregate demand. Debt levels are so high that at some point, people are going to be unwilling to borrow more money and banks are unwilling to lend. The rate of growth of debt will stop, credit will turn negative, and that will cause the crisis, which is precisely what happened. Now, we're not seeing the same... Potential for that this time round, because even though there's mm-hmm. been an increase in the level of private debt during the pandemic and, and 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 now during the early days of this energy crisis, it's not to the same scale of credit as it was before the 2008 crash. So you won't you're not jumping off quite as high a cliff when it comes down, but it will turn negative, and that's again they haven't learned that lesson. They don't appreciate the impact of negative credit on aggregate well, demands.
2: Yeah, and you're so t- they're, t- they're going
1: to cause t- negative credit.
2: Yeah, you're never going to get them to agree to that either, are you? I mean, because they, they, a, a, a bank would say, ah, oh, well, you know, more debt's a good thing because that means more people are borrowing to put more money into the economy. It's a sign of the health of the economy to, to have high levels of, of private debt. That's, uh, that's, that's the what way it's... they
1: think. Yeah, they're, they're still thinking it. I mean, the Bank of International Settlements is still a source of relative wisdom on this front, as I hope are still my... I haven't seen them for a long, long time, but my some of my friends in the research division of the Bank of England uh, who were aware of the... Endogenous nature of money creation. They must be watching the uh, Monetary Policy Committee and holding their, you know, going out to get drunk afterwards of of each of the meetings because they're seeing them following textbook economics that these people inside the Bank Research Department know is wrong.
2: So we had the Dodd Frank Act in the United States. That was uh, that was one response to uh, 2008. And that had, including the, uh, one aspect of it was the Volcker Rule, which basically, as I understand it, it meant banks had to act on behalf of clients. Wow, imagine that. And they couldn't make speculative, oh God, yeah. it couldn't make speculative investments with their own money. Um, but actually, you'd want that, wouldn't you? Isn't that actually a good thing? That if if banks, I mean, there were I, if a bank makes a speculative investment, I mean, it's taking a risk, but isn't that what banks are for? So you have, I mean, if you take money out of uh, out of their own equity, for example, and use that to invest in growing the economy, that's a good thing. Isn't it?
1: Well, they don't, but they don't do it, and they can't do it. Banks have got strict limitations on the sort of assets they can buy, which is why the shadow banking system has evolved. Most of the shadow banks themselves ultimately owned by banks, so it's it's a way of the banks getting around the regulations, controlling their capacity to speculate. But again, back to Keynes, uh, when the when the management of the economy becomes the byproduct of the activities of the casino, the job is likely to be ill done. It's being ill done, and with, the last thing we need is what I the, these people that Marx once called the roving cavaliers of credit. We don't want them running the economy anymore we've seen what happens we had a financial crisis courtesy of handing over running the economy to the financial sector in the aftermath of the to the 80s Uh, so by 2008 that's that's crashed apart now we don't want the same buggers in control when we're running into an ecological crisis as well as the um uh the 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 the, the supply crises we're seeing from covid and so on so So yeah we've got to tame the financial sector and that means taming the central banks as well
2: yeah, but how do you do that then? So after the Great Depression, the, I mean, one of the suggestions was, from the, it came from the University of Chicago, uh, that uh, banks should be forced to retain a hundred percent of their deposits. So it would be impossible for them to create money or destroy money. Actually Irving Fisher was one was someone who was supposedly behind this idea, which was called mm. narrow banking, I think is it was the term mm. it was used. So it's in other words, bank banks would just be, you know, they'd just hold your deposits, basically, wouldn't they? And, um, and, you know, they wouldn't have any scope for uh, lending beyond what they're, what they're holding in, in, in reserves.
1: Yeah. This this is part of a positive money uh, policy are as well, to stop banks being money creators and make them money allocators so that the government would put uh, you know, give them a certain amount of money into a, a account for each bank out of which they could lend, but when the account was depleted, they couldn't lend anymore. So there would be money creation, but money creation directed by the government, a distribution of that money through bank lending. But that then means, of course, they need to be accurate in getting arbitrage. They've got to be able to you know, get that money at effectively no cost, uh, but then make a profit on the on the allocation. And I'd, I'd actually, my gut feeling is they won't be able to. A huge part of the profitability of banking comes out of the capacity to create money. If you take that away, not only does it have to be, the financial sector has to be far smaller than it is right now, uh, it's it's quite possible there wouldn't be a profit in it.
2: But is that is that the root of the problem, though the the ability for banks to create money? Because I mean that's and and central banks like to think that they control that that they you know they are the Which of
1: course they don't yeah mm. yeah they'll let it go totally crazy but they don't control it. Um, but it, it it I mean the financial when you think about the financial sector the financial sector's fundamental role is to enable us to buy and, buy and sell goods and services off each other. Uh, its role is again a bit like the share market. People see the share market as a place that creates capital. When you take a look at the aggregate level, um, there's more share market money value destruction going on through buybacks and things of that nature uh, than there is creation of new money. The actual um, the IPO market, the, uh, the, cre- the the actual raising of funds by share issue, initial share issues, is trivial compared to the volume of, that goes into Speculating about the value of second-hand shares, where the money never goes anywhere near the company whose shares are being traded, it's all speculation and gambling. So, um, would we? Do we lose much if we lose that? No. Not, that'd be a great thing to lose. You want a bit of price discovery, and I talk about this. And one of my ideas for the modern debt jubilee included the idea of jubilee shares, where the the focus would be on minimizing the second hand trade side of the share market and maximizing the raising revenue for new ventures side of the share market so you would companies would issue shares they can be traded a certain number of times that's that's where your price discovery thing comes in. But then after, let's say, a dozen or two dozen trades, uh, those shares would become jubilee shares which would expire after 50 years. The only reason to buy them was because you're getting a dividend flow out of them, and that's the rationale that's currently used to justify in pension funds and so on, buying shares on the market uh, because they're getting a dividend flow, well garbage, they're mainly gambling about the price of the share, but if you know the ultimate price that share is going to be zero after 50 years, or you're going to buy it for at the dividend stream, and you actually do what the textbooks claim you do already now, and that's to make some rational estimate of future revenue and then buy shares to get the revenue stream until they expire.
2: Right, so how how does how does this relate to where, what we're talking about today, though? Which is the, by the way, anyone who's tuning in for the first time, because we've got some new listeners now. We made this podcast available for free, yeah. and and sometimes Steve will just blow your mind and go for for a moment or two. I haven't got a clue what he's talking about, but stick with us because <laughs> a lot of, a lot of these themes do start do we care? So we will look at the idea of jubilee shares again in a uh, in, in a future episode. We've done it once or twice before, but how yeah. for, for all of this, this idea, where okay, reducing uh, reducing the risk element and the speculation, how does uh, through, for example, uh, shares. How does that relate back to the role of central banks?
1: Well they're really saying the central banks believe they could they, they could leave regulation to the regulator, and often like they they fobbed off the regulation. Like in Australia they fobbed it off to what they call APRA, Australian yeah. Prudential Regulation Authority, which would have been a total disaster. Um, A similar thing in 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 the UK, it's gone to, there's a financial stability board, isn't there? That's Mm -hmm. separate to the Bank of England.
2: And the Financial Conduct Authority as well, the FCA. Financial Conduct, okay, okay.
1: So so they've they've said, we can farm this stuff out. We don't need it. We can just manipulate everything using the interest rate. And by putting interest rate up twice as fast as the change in the rate of inflation, we can control inflation and get the economy to the natural, non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment, which is a load of Milton Friedman bollocks. Yet yep. again, it's this, this fairy, this this you know, will of a wisp that economists spend their days trying to measure and create, uh, and, and basically, it basically tends to be a lagged uh, convergence to the current unemployment rate. It's got nothing to do with reality. Yeah. To get to get them to believe they cannot control the economy that way, get them to learn some Minsky, fundamentally, and say, what is your role? Fundamentally, your role is to guarantee the safe and security of the, of the of the payment system. That's what you should be doing. And as part of that, you should be limiting what banks do in terms of gambling with financial assets rather than encouraging which is what you've been doing for the last 40 years ever since bloody Medigliani and Miller wrote called the, the Medigliani-Miller uh, the hypothesis would argue that uh, that uh, the level of debt that a company takes out doesn't matter. That was the beginning of ignoring the incredible explosion in private debt that got us into the financial crisis back in 2008 in the first place. And I guess so, uh, again,
2: as long as we have this idea that central banks – I mean the, the idea that central banks will control the banking system and ensure that it doesn't fall over – that has tended to be interpreted as rather than, oh, well, we're going to regulate you to make sure that you behave so you don't fall over. It's really mm-hmm. been interpreted as, well, look, if you do fall over, uh, what we'll do is we'll pump a whole load of money in and uh, and, and save the day. So that obviously then means, you know, that the, the perception that banks are going to be too big to fail. If they do fail, central banks are there. They'll get bailed out. And obviously that just enhances the uh, appetite for risk.
1: And that's exactly what happened. It was the first called the Greenspan put when it happened back in the 87 stock market crash when the market fell 20% in one day uh, and the Greenspan was just taken over running the central bank at that state, the Fed of the Fed, and basically said effectively like a Mario Draghi statement today, whatever it takes, we won't let these companies fail. And it became known as the Greenspan put. So all the risk was taken... Not all the risk, but a lot of it was taken out because you knew if you got into financial difficulty, the Fed would bail you out. And then, of course, now the Fed's become a buyer of last resort through quantitative easing. So all these things have massively distorted the, the asset market, and it's all allowed this huge increase in private debt, which is what caused the crisis in the first place. So that's why my, my not the first thing I'd have the central bank doing, it, 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 has to, it, it can't do it directly. It has to work through the Treasury to do the modern debt jubilee. But they've got to regard... At the moment, they regard the inflation rate and the unemployment rate uh, and the, this crazy idea of Nehru, which is talked about the capacity of the economy. It would, uh, those, those are the three main factors they put into their macro models. Chuck out those macro models, learn Minsky, learn dynamic, uh, dynamic economics rather than the crap they do at the moment. Uh, but add private debt as a target and add credit as a target and want to get private debt down to one-third what it is now, get it back to the level it was back in the 1950s and 60s rather than, in America's case, 170% of GDP, get it back to 60%, 50% of GDP. And right. then. And try to maintain those. Start thinking like a Minsky and stop thinking like
2: a neo So that's so okay. So you're saying that should be a central bank target. So you, you'd be happy to see uh, the c- continued maintenance of this independence of central banks, would you? And and but one of the targets should be the level of debt, le- the level of uh, of private debt which is being held.
1: Well, it it it, it, it it's more so not so much the independence, and then the, the independence is mythical anyway, because they're owned by the treasury. Uh, and only profits they make are remitted to the Treasury. Um, but the, the, the main thing is they have to see themselves as a, an integrated part of the government. And a, again, it, it's just we've got an economic theory which is ignorant of the actual structure of the economy being the way in which economists try to manage the economy through institutions like the the central bank and the Treasury. Now, just got to get rid of them. I mean, this, this neoclassical mindset is deadly on every possible front. Especially when it, not, it, 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 ironically, the thing they most think they're experts about the monetary system or the, the economic system, their model of it is wrong. And therefore, what they do is policy controls is wrong as well. We simply have to get rid of that thinking. This is what Bill White was trying to do, by the way, when he was research director for the Bank of International Settlements. And the Bank of International Settlements under Bill was the only formal body to warn of the financial crisis before it happened. And of course, he, Bill, and I'm speaking to him personally, he's become a good friend since the crisis. Bill actually had to stare down Alan Greenspan. In meetings over this stuff, where he was saying that the financial crisis is likely to come, we've got to change direction. And Greenspan basically dared the other bankers to default, to to uh, you know basically cowed them into not listening to Bill's directions. And bang, we got the financial crisis two years later.
2: So it's interesting, isn't it, how the bond markets actually give us a, a, a you know a lot of indications about how investors think the, the future of the economy is going to be. So they are, for example, so short term, short maturity uh, bond yields are going up because everyone's looking and thinking, oh, my God, the Fed are going to keep on pushing interest rates. Uh, then uh, five years, they're well down. In fact, even in a couple of years, if you look at what they're expecting, the market is expecting, yes, they're going to push up interest rates a lot this year. And then they're going to pull them right back next year. And then you've got – so the Fed, of course, who can't be out of kilter with where the market is, are busy saying, no, 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 don't assume that it's going to be over next year. Uh, You know, this is going to take years to fix. So in other words, they're saying to the market, you know, you are – you're expecting yields to be much lower uh, or your yields are well below where they should be. So, uh, you know, so push them up. But the Mm -hmm. truth is, I wonder how how many of those investors are thinking, uh, you know, which I think is your line of thinking, uh, 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 mine too, that they are going to push interest rates up. It's not going to work. And next year they're going, oh, we got all that wrong. The economy's tanked. We better pull those interest rates right down. We've achieved nothing, but we've got to reverse our position.
1: And that's what I expect to happen, too, because, again, it can be at the level of private debt. Uh, Again, if you have a Minskyan attitude to private debt, you know it's too high. You know that putting average rates will cause credit to go from positive to negative. You know, and this is something I proved mathematically back in 2018, I think it's in my book, the New Economics of Manifesto. Credit is part of aggregate demand and income. Now, that is not something mainstream economists are aware of. If you read Ben Bernanke, for example, and I don't recommend it, but I'll, you know, I'll save you the pain, i have read him myself. He said at one point that the reason that, he, uh, that Irving Fisher's debt deflation theory of Great Depressions was rejected was the counter-argument that that debt deflation represents no more than a redistribution from one group debtors to another group creditors. Now, for a thought, that's lunacy because a debt deflation, people don't pay their debts, the creditors don't get anything. It's a stupid even at that level. But what he's saying is pure redistribution is what they see lending as. So they think yeah. well, the loan is repaid, that they can't. They don't see the role of credit. You know, they'll getting a bit long-winded there. But I've proven that credit is part of aggregate demand and and aggregate income. So well, you don't even negative, need to prove it. So
2: there isn't a bank? So it's like saying you don't, that's saying when a bank gives out a loan, that is not creating new money, isn't it? That's, that's what, they're what they're saying. saying.
1: Well, they're, they're not creating but the bank, new money. But the Bank and of not creating England creating new is, demand.
2: It, Right. But Bank of England in black and white says no, that's not what happens. They they acknowledge that when you know when, when banks give a loan, that's new money into the economy. That they acknowledge yeah, the, the, the
1: Bank of England, so did the Bundesbank, so did the Norwegian Central Bank, even the Australian, one of, one of the few decent people in the Australian Central Bank, made a similar comment. The, so that the, the, the it's becoming slowly seeping into the minds of the neoclassical thing that the are wrong is that front. They've got that acknowledge that banks create money when they lend. But they still haven't tied that up with aggregate demand. that still don't realise that So what, the point I'm making is when they... When they're putting up interest rates, they think they're attenuating the demand for money uh, by making investment projects a less net present value positive and therefore reducing investment and slowing the economy in a gradual way. What they're not seeing is they're going to turn credit from positive, so debt growing, private debt growing, to negative. And when it does, there will be a fall in demand, not as severe as in 2008, but the same basic story. If you look back at 2008, credit demand in America went from 15% of GDP in 2006 to minus 5% in 2009, so you had a 20% of GDP turnaround in aggregate demand coming out of the credit going from positive to negative. It won't be quite that severe this time, but it will still be of the order five to ten percent. Now, when that hits, that's so not what the banks are expecting at all. They will get a shock. They will think, "Oh my God, the economy is slowed mm-hmm. down far more than we thought it would." We've got a reverse direction, and they'll have to put up, I think, for a long time, with
2: effectively negative real interest rates. Right. Well, this is the debunking economics podcast. You'll know that because you chose to listen. And you're 23 minutes into it. Uh, we are back again in just a second with more. Now, Steve, the reason why we're looking at uh, the role of central banks this week is because Liz Truss uh, has said that she wants a review in the UK of uh, the role of central banks. She's talking more, I think, about the, you know the independence, and she's just saying it, I think, just for you know popular appeal because central banks are taking a hammering. For the opposite of what you uh, you've just been saying, you know that they a lot of people saying, oh, they didn't move fast enough. That's why inflation is getting out of control, uh, and therefore we need to see that they don't t- delay pushing up interest rates. And, and in other words, we need to ensure that they don't do the wrong thing more quickly next time. Uh, But the other side of it as well is, uh, you know, in this whole independence thing, central banks over the last few years bailed out the government, in effect, didn't they? I don't know if that's the right terminology bailing out, but, you know, they have been buying up uh, government debt, if we want to call it that. Uh, £450 billion worth of uh, government and corporate bonds were bought by the Bank of England in 2020 and 2021. Most of it was actually government bonds. Uh, So is that an essential function of central banks? And should they do that independently? It's not happening independently, is it? I mean, basically, the, the government is issuing that money, they're talking to the central bank and saying, look, we need to get out of this uh, this crisis we're in. We need you to buy up a heap of bonds. Again,
1: this, this is not understanding the dynamics of money creation, because when the central bank buys bonds off private banks, that doesn't ch- ch- change the money supply at all. What it it actually does, it actually reduces the money supply uh, because when uh, when the central bank uh, when the government uh, sells bonds, let's go through it step by step. When the government runs a deficit, it creates money in people's private bank accounts and it creates funds in the reserve accounts of private banks. They then use those funds to buy the bonds when the government issues bonds, which therefore it's no. Let's go, okay, we'll this so qu- the well, let's go. Okay, we'll do this. Well, let's go This
2: is important. Let's go okay. through this quick, step by step. So let okay. let me paraphrase, okay. and you tell me tell that, me where so, I've got tell me okay. where I've got it wrong. So the government says, right, we're going to create a billion pounds. That money has to be spent, so it ends up in people's bank accounts. So the billion pounds ends up spread around mm-hmm, a whole yep. lot of banks. Those banks receive that money, so that money goes into the reserves. Of the, it goes into people's bank accounts, but it's also sitting there. The, the actual physical cash is in sitting reserves, in, the, in yeah. the reserves of those banks. To, to pay for that, the government says, right, okay, well, we need to issue bonds. So the issue, the billion No, pa- the,
1: the, government, the, the government is actually trying to make sure its account at the central bank doesn't go negative. That's why right. it sells bonds. Right. Okay, so it sells yeah. those bonds. So the billions, a billion, pounds, a billion. A billion yeah. pounds goes into people's bank accounts. A billion goes into the funds of the reserve accounts of the, of the private banks at the central bank. The Treasury then issues bonds with a face value of a billion pounds and sells them. To the central, to the private banks, and the funds they use to buy those bonds have been created by the deficit and are sitting in the reserve accounts. Yeah, it's that billion so pounds the banks, sitting in reserves.
2: Is. And so the bank says, "Yeah, well, we might as well buy those bonds now because yeah, so they they're going to the give swap. us a return. They they return. Do the swap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Now that does nothing to the money supply. Yeah, okay, it, it, it's all okay. But what then happens is, well, then the government starts paying interest on those bonds. Now the interest, let's say the interest is three percent. So you got got the billion pounds being created. That's thirty million. We're talking small numbers here. The actual numbers are closer to trillions than billions. Mm. But let's just stick with the numerical example you started with. So a billion pounds of of deficit is created. A billion pounds of reserves are created. They are converted into a billion pounds worth of bonds. Let's say the bonds earn 3% interest. Then the banks get a steady stream of 30 million pounds per year interest income. Now, if the central bank comes in and buys all those bonds, which it can do as well, then that interest income falls to zero. So you have £30 billion less money being created, money which has been created in the financial sector rather than the real economy by the interest, but that disappears. So central bank bond buying, which people think is part of creating money, actually ends up with less money being created because you end the creation of money through paying interest on government bonds. Right. Where yeah. it does turn up, it gets more complicated, where it does turn up is because banks themselves then sell those bonds to non-bank uh, the public, mainly non-bank financial institutions, so the hedge fund part of the world, hedge funds, pension funds, and stuff like that. So when they do that, that means that that actually reduces the money supply, because yeah. when the gov- when the banks sell those bonds, they reduce their own holding of bonds, but they get transferred to being owned by the um, by the non-bank financial institutions, but the deposits of the NBFI's fall, therefore the money supply fall. That's a fall that occurs in right. the financial sector. Yeah, because okay. those because
2: non-bank institutions are using they're, but the, they're the key, buying those bonds instead of buying yeah. something else that's already out there. But,
1: in yeah, the but, 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 but what then happens is when when the, when the when the central bank practices quantitative easing and buys those bonds back off the um, non-bank financial institution, that does create money.
2: Right. Okay. okay.
1: But that create money just in the financial sector.
2: So, so we've, got, we've okay. Um, so that's that's good, and I think hopefully most people have been with us on most of that, and if not, go back and you'll find we've discussed this several <laughs> times on the on on the podcast. And uh, you know, it it takes getting your head around it can take a bit of time. But the but the basic question: should if if central banks are in effect bailing out the bailing out the government, buying those uh, you know and buying those bonds?
1: Well, then are not bailing out the government. Okay. Well, they they if they buy the bond, the QE was a policy that was supposed to stimulate the economy. Well, look how successful it was. Yeah. Okay. We had the slowest recovery ever since since see slowest recovery in the history of economic recoveries after the two thousand and eight. So crisis. okay, an, uh, a simpler, a simpler
2: to... question. A simpler question then. Should they engage in QE yeah. at all, or should it, or should it be something that's no, just no. just banned? Q,
1: the, the, just... the only role for QE was was where it was necessary to give uh, to buy bonds off institution which couldn't buy sell bonds otherwise, and were going to go bankrupt. Okay, so it comes back to the, the 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 role that they should be involved in is the budget budget rule that they try to maintain the solvency of the financial system. But they should have, when they did that, they should have taken stakes in those companies as well. And of course, this is what was not done by the central bank. So this is again thinking in a neoclassical way gets in the way. If they'd actually thought in a Minskyan way or a, a budget way, they should have taken an equity position in those firms when they when they bailed them out by buying their bonds. And, of course, that is a, a complete change in the mindset that I can't see happening to the Bank of England's certainly not the Monetary Policy Committee. Maybe the, some of the research staff would be... Uh... Uh, we willing to contemplate what I'm talking about, but not the MPC. So,
2: uh, what have we changed so far? Then Where we've said uh, that uh, th- th- they, you know, can't engage in QE. Do we like the idea that they should? Uh, th- I mean, how are they controlling the the, the stability of banks? What have, what are we changing? I'm d- just so Liz Truss can keep up, because I'm I'm sure she's listening and she wants to know how she needs to reform the Bank of <laughs> England. So uh, no more QE is one. Uh, what were we doing to control the stability of banks?
1: Well, that that, that is where you do buy assets on occasions to rescue them uh, when they're going to fold. You don't want the you don't want the, the the payment system to break down. So you still want them doing bond purchasing for the budget types reasons rather than for um, neoclassical quantitative easing theory type reasons. Um, so you want that to happen. You want them to be monitoring the. They're really focusing on the financials. Uh, Fragility of the economy. You don't want uh, banks with too much private debt because you then get financial fragility for the entire economy and you don't want them overindulging in speculation because that also gives you financial fragility. So that was your other suggestion. Actually,
2: actually one of their targets should be the the amount of private debt which is held in the country. That should should be one of their their focuses. So what about how, Mm. um, on, on the independence question, the way that central banks and governments often don't, I mean, sometimes they clearly work together, but other times... Uh, They don't. So if uh, if the government stoked inflation, like, for example, if uh, right now, if they cut taxes uh, because they think that, you know, we need to get the economy going again and we're going to drive up the demand for goods by giving people more money in their pockets. So we're going to cut taxes so they've got more money to spend. Uh, And then, of course, that just pushes up demand for products which don't exist uh, therefore, it pushes prices higher so we get more inflation. Then the central bank comes and says, oh, well, the only way we know to cope with with inflation is to, uh, is to push up interest rates. So that pushes up everyone's mm. mortgage so they have even less. You've actually got the government making things worse uh, and the central bank just adding to that. Uh, is independence when you so they operate operating at odds with each other is independence actually a good thing when you have that sort of thing happening or is it just plain no stupid? i don't think
1: it, i don't think it is i mean this is again modern monetary theories focus on the central bank as part of the government mm. uh, and you know they 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 i think they exaggerate part of the part of the analysis but the fundamental story is the central bank is the conduit through which the treasury operates on the on the uh on the bank of the private sector economy and that's its main role as a conduit. It's not a control mechanism. And trying to make it into a control mechanism, uh, when they ignore what the main factors were, led to the for 2008 crisis. And we don't want a repeat of that. Nor do we want them to be putting up interest rates now and sucking demand out of an economy which is going to suffer with, with demand being sucked out of it by high energy prices as well. So the energy sector is going to do very nicely, but not the rest of the economy. So the the central bank focusing on interest rate uh, increases is going to add to the bankruptcies of the private sector, which is yet, the last thing a private sector needs right now.
2: And yet, sadly, because, of course, when a government uh, says it's going to undertake a review, it's already decided what the outcome of that review is going to be, obviously, even if it's the wrong mm. outcome. So when Liz Trust says she wants a review of the Bank of England Accountability, and Australia, by the way, is launching a review of the uh, RBA as well. Uh, in both cases, I think it's really the government wants to put the blame on rising inflation on the, on the central banks and <coughs> take the blame away from the government. You know, obviously had nothing whatsoever to oh, do this, with
1: any. This was a major reason why central bank independence was was something that politicians were quite willing to contemplate. Because yeah. if you go back to the 1970s with interest rates, they, 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 somebody else can take the blame. Yeah. Paul Keating was quite happy to hand that uh, hot potato <laughs> over to the central bank. Yeah. Um. And the same thing applying in, in the UK as well. So but, but the thing is, if they knew what they were doing, that would have been a good idea. They clearly don't know what they're doing because they follow neoclassical economics.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's certainly this smells of a uh, for, for, review for the wrong reason, which is to say, well, inflation's rising because central banks didn't push up interest rates fast enough. That seems to be... What you know, which is, as you're saying, is exactly the wrong thing. It would be a bit sad, wouldn't it, if they did this review. I mean, it would show a government that was uh, incompetent. Imagine that. If they did this review... Oh, we can't have
1: that. No. The
2: review no. comes back and says, well, actually, do you know what? They didn't push in, pu- push up interest rates fast enough. That's why we've got inflation. About the same time that actually it's, it's realised that no, it's making no difference whatsoever uh, and they're going to have to bring those interest rates down. That would make the review look a bit stupid, wouldn't it? But I wonder whether... That-
1: oh, well, <laughs> of course that can't happen. The review's got to be sensible. Yeah, that's going to be fun to read. I mean, that's, I haven't actually bothered putting in this submission into the Australian, Australian one, though. Obviously, I could, because uh, I just think it's 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 going to get swallowed. I mean, mm. I, I I wrote a submission to the Harrys Committee back in the nineties, warning about the dangers of financial deregulation. Look how much advice was taken of that. Yeah. Harry's did actually, the, 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 I forgot anything of Professor Harris actually did thank me for a stimulating presentation. But that's all it got. And the, the guy on this, the central bank rep on the Harry's committee in Australia, was gleeful in trying to overwhelm my arguments by throwing neoclassical textbook stuff at me. Um, so I think his last name was Farmer. Uh, sometime later, he's wearing a fair bit of mud on his face, which has been fun to watch. <laughs>
2: You used to be a journalist years ago, didn't you? You've still got, you've still got it. You've, uh, you've oh, yeah. you're, you're writing headlines as you talk. So, uh, so the Attorney General in the UK is Suella Braverman, uh, a big supporter of Liz Truss. He, she said that the review is going to look at the extent to which the Bank of England could retain its independent decision making on interest rates. So, in other words, she thinks the government should have a have a say on interest rates as well. I'm not sure that's going to make the situation worse or better, or just uh, makes no change whatsoever. But she's pointing to the Bank of Japan as a central bank that works well. Is that the case? I'm not sure. Two decades of deflation is, is necessarily a sign that central bank is is doing its job well. Uh, and she questions whether the Bank of England, uh, you know, it, it is a is a is a better model. Uh, because it has, I mean, the argument is it has less accountability. I'm not, uh, because there, there is a bit of a hybrid model working there, isn't there? But is, is that, um, uh, is, the, is the Bank of Japan want to look at?
1: I don't particularly think so. What they look at is, is there's a scale of government debt in Japan, which is 250% plus of GDP. And, you know, nobody's declared bankruptcy in Japan, the, the central bank or the government. So that's the scale that government debt can get to without... Stimulating the economy, the whole the, the thing that that's the lesson to learn: that government debt is not a problem, private mm. debt is the problem. That's worth learning. But apart from that, I wouldn't be going too much uh, checking out the notes of the um, of the uh, Japanese Monetary Policy Committee.
2: Right. Do you know what? Though I th- I suspect that this review will uh, because they've identified Japan, they'll look at the Bank of Japan and and that uh, that the size of government debt issuance. I think will probably be ignored in the whole review. Be lucky if for it gets sure, a paragraph. For sure.
1: Yeah, heaven help us if we don't we don't want to learn from reality
2: no of course not all right very good so in a nutshell uh, i like the idea that one of the one of the functions of the central bank should be in uh, ensuring that uh, private debt doesn't get up to a set level that's perhaps a more meaningful measure than uh, than, than interest rates and it should be bought, bought under control of, of government it shouldn't be there sitting as an independent authority seems to be what you're saying as well because it's not independent anyway
1: Basically. no that's true then yeah. the wrong people are running it. That's the main problem.
2: Sorted. There we are, Liz.
1: Get some post-Keynesian economists inside there.
2: You can you can have a review for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. We've just done it for you in half an hour. Uh, good go. to talk, Steve. Catch you again soon.
1: Okay, mate. Bye-bye.
2: And uh, that's it for this week. That's the Debunking Economics podcast. I'm Phil Dobby. He's Steve Keen. We'll be back again next week. Tell your friends about it so they can come and join the party because, you know, the more the merrier, basically. Uh, we'll catch you again next week. Thanks for listening. The Debunking
0: Economics podcast.